Professor Brian Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Spain and people here love motorcycles and mm-hmm. they usually tweak the engines so they become you know have a turbine. Ah. yes so this is very common here oh. you might hear them passing by oh okay yeah there's another one yeah I can hear <laughs> anyway sorry you have to accept that if you live here <laughs> <laughs> it's okay um so how did you go to your, once you finished your master's, did you know you wanted to go to your PhD or what is that thing? What happened between your master's and your PhD? Yeah, so while I was working for Bob as a technician, mm. I knew I wanted more because, you know, after two years, I felt I had reached, I wasn't getting any more challenging. I wasn't growing mm. and I didn't want to just get a normal job. I was thinking, what else? Oh, like what going to pharma? Like that didn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And I like doing research. Mm-hmm. And again, I love traveling. Like I love exploring other cultures and other countries. Yeah. So I decided to go for the PhD, similar to Bob, to just to explore another country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but of course, I wanted it to be a good institute. I didn't just want to go to any random country. Mm-hmm. So I applied for famous institutes who had good reputations. So I applied to King's College in London mm-hmm. and Vienna, like in Germany, to the Max Planck. So I ended up going to the Max Planck Institute in mm-hmm. Dresden. Mm-hmm. And I picked it because of the vibe. Like when you, when I went there for the interview, mm. what was beautiful about their institute, they really focused on community. It wasn't just about, oh, we do great science. We do mm. great science, but mm. we also build great community and work culture. Yeah. So it really felt like being part of a family from day one. Mm. Everybody was very inclusive, very open and warm and helpful. And I was like, wow. This is exactly the kind of people, you know, I want to surround myself with. Mm. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in Dresden in Germany for my PhD. What were you doing? I have to say. Mm -hmm. You have to say? Like it was at the same time, the best time in my life, but also the hardest time in my life. Like it was a mixture of both. Mm. Yeah. What, what is, what were you doing before? Like, uh, while were you applying for these different institutions? I was doing my master's in that oh, you're uh, still laboratory. Doing... Oh. I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was literally still working as a mm. technician mm. slash master's student. Mm. And I started applying to all these uh, PhD programs because mm. that's when they started popping up before that PhD programs weren't that common. So this mm. is in 2003. Mm. And then I was like, oh, a PhD program, that sounds nice because then you kind of start with a group of mm. people from all over the world. Mm. What is okay? Tell me about uh, meeting people from different cultures. How is that? Oh, oh. 
this is why I love science. And this mm. is why I love working with scientists. I mean, I love it until today as, mm. a, as a coach and trainer. Because mm. when you work with people from different countries, mm. it's almost like you travel to their country. You know, you get to experience their language, their food, their sense of humor, their clothing, like everything. You really get to experience their country through mm. their lens, right? Yeah, yeah. And that has been so enriching on its own, mm. just that part of being in the scientific world. Okay, so uh, how, okay, what, what was the good you said there was community. Is that community still persist up to the end of your PhD? That community still exists until today. This is why I say community is mm. so important. You know, mm. when I started my business uh, almost four years ago now, mm. that same community has mm. been so supportive. Mm. And I finished my PhD in 2007. But mm. these same people, mm. when they saw that I started my business as a coach for scientists, they're like, hey, Amani, come to my institute. We could mm. need you. Hey, Amani. And they started recommending me to give workshops and give talks. And mm. that's why I say community is so beautiful because even if you leave that community, I haven't been in touch with many of these people from my PhD, mm. like for a decade, we have lost contact. Mm. But there is this sense of we're family. Mm. We went through this together. We went through that hard time together. Yeah. <laughs> we survived yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So when they see you again, whether it's on social media or they see you in person, like mm. they want to help, they want to support. And that's why I say to invest in building community because it does not only pay off for your mm. career, mm. but it gives you a sense of belonging. How are you feeling when you first got the notification that you've been accepted to the PhD program that you wanted? Oh my God. I wish I had a video of that back then. I can still remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can still remember the scene because, I mean, I did not think I was going to get accepted because the Max Planck Institute, especially the one in Dresden, Mm. Is very it was very like elite and, and like the best institute and only mm. the best scientists come in and da 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 and it was mm. so competitive. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot because I didn't have like the the highest grades, you know. Mm. And I got the email and I was literally jumping up and down and screaming in front of my computer and the whole lab was like, what is happening? I got accepted. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy. And I have to say, it was definitely a life changer. You know, going to Germany, going to the Max Planck mm. was a life changer. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I know Sweden and Germany are two different countries, but I'm just mm. one uh, in the same space. Yeah, in the same continent. Um mm close to each other yeah yeah so but still very different yeah yeah so how was it like moving to germany you wanted to drink yeah, funny drink yeah yeah <laughs> please drink water <laughs> yeah, yeah it doesn't make sounds when when i drink and it doesn't matter you know? mm. i thought you were saying that if i started drinking when i moved to germany That's um, I because i did actually before i didn't drink alcohol <laughs> Oh, okay. So if you ask me what is the cultural thing I learned in Germany was to mm. drink a lot of beer. I, before that, I didn't drink alcohol at all. 
but yeah it was it was still a culture shock because mm. you would think okay germany and sweden and this northern europe they're quite mm. similar mm. but there are quite some differences so for me um that was a, a difference yeah in culture and learning the language mm -hmm. i realized like if you don't speak the language of the country you live in you mm. have like this barrier that stops you from really integrating Experience. into that country mm. so german is really hard to learn even for me having like speaking swedish fluently mm. yeah and what else i ended up Mm -hmm. I ended up staying there. So mm -hmm. I, although there were some things that didn't align with, with me and my values and my lifestyle, I still mm -hmm. liked it enough to stay. I stayed mm -hmm. for 11 years in Germany after. Yeah. Even after your PhD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I even left and I went back. So I, I finished my PhD mm -hmm. and then I graduated into unemployment like 60 to 80% of PhD graduates do until mm. today. A lot of people graduate into unemployment and mm. total confusion. And mm. that was my situation too. So I graduated, but I still had this like very naive belief that, oh, but I have a PhD. Mm. I'm sure the jobs are going to line up for me. Mm. <laughs> that was unfortunately not the case, right? So like I had a PhD, but nobody was really interested in hiring because I didn't even know what I wanted. You know, like how can you apply for jobs when you don't even know what you want yeah. and what you're good at? Mm. So I ended up doing this. I went to Southeast Asia straight after my PhD and I backpacked for three months. And I thought, wow. you know what? I'm sure if I travel and I mm. just like, you know, just be for three months, mm. the answers will just like come to me. Right. So I went on this trip, totally forgot about everything, science, the world, everything. I was just fully there. It was mm. an amazing journey. Mm. But it also taught me that there is more to life than studying and careers and work. You know, like it was really the first time where I got to see real poverty, like firsthand, where I got to see children with burn, burn, uh, how do you call it? Like burn scars on their faces because they don't have electricity to cook food so they would cook food on fire and it was so common in that area that children would fall in into the fire and get burned and injured and I was just like oh my god like I realized how protected I was living mm. in that modern western world having access to everything access to education healthcare, mm. everything how privileged I was. And there I was like feeling sorry for myself. Like, I don't know what to do after my PhD. And there are kids here with no electricity, no running water, no access to education. So it was a real wake up doing that journey. Mm. I, I, for me, I'm very grateful for that. But I still ended up coming back from these three beautiful months uh, clueless. I still didn't know what I wanted to do mm. with, with my career. So thanks to networking, if somebody's wondering, how do I land my next job? Mm. Networking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks to networking and mm. talking to the people I know, I found my first job after my PhD as a project manager mm. for a European collaborative project on type 2 diabetes. So on paper, it sounds amazing, Sarah. Mm. It's like, mm. ooh, project manager for such mm. an interesting topic, diabetes. Mm. And I thought the same when I got mm. the job. I'm like, this is going to be so cool and it's so exciting. Mm. But it ended up being a very boring job. 
Again, mm. I had an, an amazing boss. He was mm. super nice and supportive. Mm. But the job itself was paperwork, was sitting eight hours in an office all alone, mm. not talking to anybody, just doing emails and reports and paperwork. And me being such a social butterfly, this was like the worst job ever. Mm. You know? Yeah. I'm curious um, to know what kind of research you've done um, at this point because uh, uh, you've mentioned diabetes so maybe someone is curious okay so what 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 were you doing in your research which kind of research do you do in your masters or your phd and i would like you to tell us more about that Oh, yeah. Let's see if my scientific research brain is still <laughs> there somewhere. We want it as simple as possible. Yeah, so I'm going to keep it simple. I'm not going to go into the details because yeah. I can't, even if I wanted to. It's yeah. such a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up doing, for my bachelor and master thesis, I did structural biology. So basically mm-hmm. protein crystallography, trying to figure out the structures or proteins. Mm. And I just ended up in that field. It wasn't like something I was actively looking mm-hmm. for. But then for my PhD, I did want a field that was a bit more interesting for me. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very curious about development. Like mm-hmm. how does an egg, a little fertilized egg, develop mm-hmm. into this multi-dimensional being? You know, mm-hmm. it's like a miracle. Yeah. So that's why I, I then chose the field, developmental biology, for my PhD. Mm-hmm. And it was basic research. So we were using the fruit fly wing Mm. as a Mm. model system Mm. to look at pattern formation and to look at the cells at these compartments and ask, well, what is it that makes these cells form these patterns? Like, how do they know that they should stay here and not cross over to this side? Although Mm. they were identical cells. Mm. So it was really going to this basics of cell communication, cell signaling and it, like as a topic and as a question, very interesting biological questions. But you don't you realize then after a while, you know, you, you know in the three four years, you don't really get to answer too many of these bigger questions because mm-hmm. it takes more like a decade to actually be able to answer the big questions, right? At, at what point did you realize that? That just what you said. No, I realized it probably like towards the end of my PhD because mm. I was like, damn, I still haven't really answered that big question. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the only thing we were able to see like is the, that there was an increase of certain proteins mm. at the cell junctions. Mm. And then we were hypothesizing, like, okay, so it must be these proteins that, that are creating like a rubber band along the, between these cells. And maybe mm. this rubber band is keeping the two cell groups from intermingling right Mm, mm. but again we just went from one hypothesis like to another and then you still have to do more experiments to address that one right yeah yeah and how did you feel when you realized the thing that was making you so excited at the first of your phd has not been answered and your time freaking frustrated and Mm. then you go and i remember from my phd defense when i presented my my data and my mom came and my sister and my family traveled all the way from sweden to to listen to my defense and my Mm. mom you know bless her she was like so is that what you spent four years on (laughs) (laughs) oh my god 
parents expect that you're gonna like cure the world or cancer or something and I'm like so that's what you spend four years on I'm like yeah mom like working on flies <laughs> understanding how cells behave uh-huh. <laughs> but but it wasn't just about how my mom reacted I mm. felt like that too you know I also mm. felt like I want to see an impact I want to see that the work that I do as a scientist in my lifetime, you know, not in 30, 40 years, mm. will have contributed to the betterments of other people's lives. Mm. And I think this is this can be the frustrating aspect of doing basic research. Mm-hmm. Although it's very valuable, it has its place, it has its value, mm. but where's the application? Where is the impact? Where's the immediate, you know, contribution that I think gives many of us satisfaction? Yeah. Oh my God, we just said that out loud. That's very true. I think it's a frustration that most people who are in basic research have when they, they, they you know, they go to the, to the point where they're like asking themselves, okay, so why am I doing this again? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you're looking for that, you know, impact story and you can't see it. As direct as you have yes. want, you have wanted, so that is yeah. uh, very common. I share that, apparently. Totally, totally. <laughs> so to give people some, some fuel and some hope, because mm. this is what I love to do today as a, mm. as a coach and trainer. Mm. And I used to say this too to my students when I was a science teacher. I actually, in between my journeys, I worked as a science teacher, as a math teacher. And some of the students would come into the math class and they would be like, why do we need to learn this? Will we ever use this stuff in real life anyway? Mm. And I'd be like, probably not. Probably mm. you will never use this knowledge in your real life. Mm. But you know what I started doing when they would enter the, the classroom for math, for the math lesson? Mm. I would put on the song from Rocky Balboa. You know this one? When he's going to like, I am a tiger. Mm. yeah mm. it's like all right guys welcome to the gym because we're gonna be working out your brains today you ready <laughs> so, so you create mm. you create the purpose you mm. make them see that doing math is not about doing math it's about training your minds mm-hmm. and if you see science like that Especially wow. if you do basic research. If um, you see that, oh my God, I don't see the impact today that I'm doing as a basic researcher. You know, you might not see the, the immediate impact, but you are train- You are in training. You um, are in training as a scientist. So you want to see how am I going to use that? Like after I've um, been through this training, what is yeah. the impact I want to do in society? Um, so if we start asking that early on during our training, we're, um, we're going to be able to create that later on. Um, but this is the problem I see. People don't look up from the lab. They don't look up from the research. They just, um, they have this like tunnel vision and they just focus 100% on um, the research. They don't ask what's the impact and contribution I want to make mm-hmm. using my scientific training. Yeah. Beyond my research field. So people, are you listening to this? Please. This is probably the biggest message I'm trying to share as a trainer. Mm-hmm. Because this is how you can make an impact as scientists. Mm-hmm. It's not about your research field. It's not about if you figure out the pattern formation in three, four years like I did. Who cares about that? Mm. But I developed skills and abilities 
beyond that field. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to talk about that in detail, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But because uh, uh, th- there's been this topic around... Uh, uh, okay, so when you're done with the PhD, so um, do you have to go to to use a PhD like directly or these other ways that you can use the skills that you gained when you're doing your PhD in another way? Um, but before that, let's go back to your story. Uh-huh. So you have done... What did you do in your masters? What kind of research did you do? Did you do in your masters? The structural was, biology part. It was also structural biology. Oh my god! Don't ask me about <laughs> the proteins. I can't remember. <laughs> it was just protein crystallography, crystallization. Uh, uh. You know, growing gene expression, bacterial cultures, and mm. then purifying the proteins and crystallizing them. And so oh, forth. okay, okay. Yeah. It's fine. Um, so when once you're done with... what What is that thing that you remember about your PhD um, journey? Because you said there's a time, I don't know, is it two years or one year, that when you were so excited and you, you put your heart in there and you're doing mm. everything, like uh, you're mm. spending even your free time Mm. Uh, to do the same research. So what is that thing that kept you moving forward even when things were not doing going well? People. Mm. People and having community around. Mm. Because I And this is why I think that we have such a strong connection with the people I, I studied with. Because mm. it was a program, you start together, you don't always finish together because mm. it really varies when yeah. the project ends, mm. but you would start together. So you felt like a class, you felt mm. like we are together in this mm. journey. Mm. And I probably made the best friendship in my life. I still have like the closest friends mm-hmm. in my life mm. are from my PhD time. Mm. And I think because you go through a lot of pain, you go mm. through a lot of pressure and stress and those friendships help me survive it so we would we would do a lot of fun things we would really like you know we were students so we didn't have like tons of money but in the weekends and and our social time was very active we did Mm. so many activities Mm. so having that very enriched social life Mm. helped me survive the, the the stress and the pressure and this feeling of i don't really fit in here Mm. i'm not sure if this is what i want yeah but at the same time what's Mm. beautiful about doing research even though like i I knew this is not what i want like Mm. what i value about it is freedom and freedom is definitely a beautiful thing and i hear this from a lot of people like they love academia because i I don't i love the freedom and i don't want to lose my freedom and if i go into company i will lose my freedom but that freedom comes at a cost Mm. so yeah during the phd or the postdoc you might have a lot of freedom yeah to do whatever you want and nobody's coming and checking on you every day to see how is it going or whether it had a result Mm. but sooner or later you have to show some you know produce Mm. the only difference is when you work in industry or in a company you don't have that kind of freedom you know daily Mm. right so Mm. there's like like things have to work much faster. Yeah. But the but the upside of that is mm-hmm. that you actually get to create more impact much faster. Mm-hmm. Because that means the work you're doing, if it's not leading to results, mm-hmm. 
you they're not going to let you waste two three years just experimenting and having fun for the sake of doing mm. research it's like mm. no like we want to do, create something that will actually solve a problem mm. so if you say i want i want impact well there you go if you want impact then probably working in a company doing r&d could be actually more impactful hi i'm glad that you're still here the conversation the conversation still continues as Amani still uh, explains her journey into becoming a career coach for scientists and PhD um, graduates. And uh, at, at this point, she was still uh, explaining her before and after and during um, her PhD. And uh, I decided to split it because it was a bit of a longer episode. And uh, I hope you get to hear the, the f- second part of part two in the third episode tomorrow also on that note you can also go to successbeyondthelab.com uh, and uh, get free stuff that you can use to up your career you can also go to her social medias the, the linkedin page and reach out to her if you need help with anything and if you can also sign up for the free um coaching session that is on 15th September this uh year that uh 2022 and uh, hope you enjoy that